Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. just great to catch up with him again. Uh, so it, it was the sights we saw, the people that we saw. The third thing was the churches. We tried to visit a church every Sunday. Look it up on the internet and just go. And God just blessed us. We met wonderful Christians on the way. We heard the word, and it was just great. But I tell you, there's nothing like New King. We missed you guys tremendously. We didn't miss our house. We didn't miss Vermont. We missed you guys. And it's so great to be back and to see your faces. So, uh, scripture reading today, uh, thank you, Caleb, was uh, in Matthew 26. Um, and, and it's this story of, of this, mainly of this woman who's, uh, uh, as we heard, this, this memory of what she did Alas, is to be told again and again throughout the world. So how many people here have memories of your grandfather? Yeah, a lot of people do. How about great-grandfather? Yeah, a few. Great-grandfather memories. How about great-great? Nobody, right? It's really interesting. My, my grandfather on my dad's side passed away in 61. I, I never knew him. And, and my dad passed away a few years ago, and my connection to my grandfather, I don't even know anybody that knew him at this point in time. Many of us don't even know the name of our great-great-grandfather. So my grandfather was named Harland Asa Carter. His father was Asa Jasper Carter. His father was Jasper Asa Carter. A lot of people don't even know the name. So what happens over time is people fall out of memory. They fall out of memory. And as I grow older, I often think, you know, if I drop dead today, you know, who's going to remember me and for how long? Well, today we have this story that's come down to us over the centuries, over the millennium, a story that is so beautiful and so touching. It's about the memory of what one woman did for Jesus. And as Tiffany said, the, the extravagant worship that she poured out over him is just amazing. So the question for us today, which I hope to answer, is how do we make memories that last for eternity? How do we do that? Can we do that? Yes, we can. So verse 1, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, so just, I just want to make a little point here. Just stop right there. Where are we in Matthew? What's going on? Well, for one thing, Matthew's gospel, commentators say, is broken up into five main discourses that Jesus gives. And after each of them, it says the same thing. Jesus finished these sayings. 
I don't know if you know that or not. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. At the end of it, it says, Jesus finished all these sayings. So that's the first discourse. The next discourse is in chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the apostles to preach. And the whole chapter is him giving instructions on how to conduct yourselves and what to do and all that. At the end of it, guess what Jesus says? Finished. The third one is is chapter 13. The seven parables that Jesus, at the end of that, what does it say? Jesus finished all the parables. Now this particular one has a word that's slightly different. It says Jesus finished all his saying. Why does it say that? What does that mean? What is Jesus getting at? What what is Matthew getting at when he writes that? Well, here's what's happened. This last set of sayings that Jesus speaks, he speaks in the character of a prophet, and he prophesies against Jerusalem, against the religious leaders, and his words are now complete. All his words are done. We've got three chapters left in Matthew. Three chapters, 26 and 27, are long chapters that describe Jesus' betrayal, the torture of him, his death, and then the last chapter is the resurrection. In those chapters, Jesus doesn't say much. There's no long discourses. There's a little one here in our chapter where he talks about the Passover and how we we, we remember him as in body and blood. But there's really not a lot of long discourses left. The point is, Jesus has finished his speaking to Israel. And he goes on into something else, a new type of of situation. And what happens is, um, what happens is, he he doesn't have anything more to say to Israel. He said it all. And what, what Matthew is alluding to, or what we should think of, is way back in the book of Deuteronomy. When Moses finished the five books of Deuteronomy, at the end of, of, of Moses, at the end of it, in the last one, it says, Moses completed all his sayings. He finished it all. He had nothing more to say. It was complete. It was perfect. It was done. So in a similar way, Jesus is like Moses. He gave the five discourses similar to the five books of Moses. And now as Moses went to his death, Jesus now goes to his death. So you see there's a connection there. And then the next thing that happens, in verse 2, it says, he says to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He predicts his death. This is the fourth time he's done that in Matthew's gospel, very clearly. But in this particular prediction of his death, he talks about the Passover. He says the Passover is going to come in a couple of days, and I'm going to die. He is connecting his death with the Passover. And if we read back, to the second book of Moses, to the Exodus, we see that the Passover was the greatest event in the history of Israel. They were slaves to Egypt. They were slaves to Pharaoh. They were oppressed. They called out to God, and God heard their cry. And with a mighty hand, God brought them out of bondage and slavery 
and oppression. And he did that by doing mighty works, signs and wonders, just as Jesus' ministry has been through mighty works, signs and wonders, and the word. And what happens? The very last thing that happens is the angel of death comes through on a particular night. And there to take a lamb and slaughter that lamb and take the blood and apply it to the doorposts and to the lintel across the top. And when the angel of death would come through, he would spare the son of that house. He would see the blood and pass over the house. Jesus is now saying, I connect myself with that. Just as the gospel writer John said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. As Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Christ, our Passover Lamb, is sacrificed for us. So for what Jesus is doing is saying, that all pointed to me. I am the fulfillment of all. All of that. So that's how this chapter begins. We have this, he's done talking to Israel. All his words are finished. Now I'm going and I'm going to predict my death and I link it directly to the Passover. Now the next couple of verses, don't want to skip over these, verses three and four, we have the plot in the palace. Right? The plot in the palace. Verse 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the festival, lest there be an uproar of the people. Not during the feast, not during the festival. We can't do it. They, they agreed on that. And here it is in Scripture recorded for all centuries for us to read. Not during the feast. They agreed on the timing. Why? Remember that the Passover celebrates the, the Israelites' release from oppression and from bondage and from slavery. Thousands, tens of thousands of Jews are now coming into Jerusalem to celebrate that. And what was going on? The Jews were in bondage to Rome. And the people were afraid, well, all these guys are coming in town, they're celebrating this, this release. We better not kill Jesus during their time, there'll be an uproar. And there had been uproars before at this time, according to Josephus. So they said, one thing we can agree on is the timing, not during the feast. But what happens? <laughs> Jesus is killed during that feast. That's exactly what happens. It says in verse 2, Jesus says, you know that after two days the Passover is coming. The Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. You see, the plots and the plans of men cannot be something that, that can happen. God is going to thwart them and have his way. Psalm 2, there's a verse in Psalm 2 that says, 
very famous. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And what does God say? The next verse in Psalm 2, verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. What we learn from this is that God is sovereign. He has his way in the details of history. All they can agree upon is not during the feast. And what happens? God has his way. Jesus says, I will be sacrificed during that feast. And that's what happens. So just a little thing. That's what we learn from that. Okay. So that's what's going on. Now we come to this beautiful story of this woman. And, and what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to draw out from two other Gospels, from, from Mark and, and, and John, who talk about the same story, and help us flesh out the details a little bit to see what's happening here. And then I want to draw some conclusions for us today. How do we relate to this? What do we do? So, verse 6 The story starts out. It says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. You can't help but notice the contrast, right? Do you see it? The the chief priests were plotting in the palace. And, And where's Jesus? He's in the house of Simon the leper. Now most likely the leper, Simon, he'd been cured probably by, by Jesus. But this wasn't a palace. So the chief priests plot in the palace, and where's Jesus? He's in the home of a despised and hated person, Simon the leper. So there he is. Um, If you look at uh, John's gospel, you'll see in chapter 12 where this story is related that it wasn't just Jesus there. It wasn't just Simon the leper there. It wasn't just the apostles. There's another family that's there. Did you know that? There's another family there. You know who it is? It's Mary and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus. Did you know that? that, that that's who was at this house. That, that, those, those three were there with him. And... Um, When we think about those people, in order to flesh out the story a little more, there's two more events that I just have to mention in passing. The first is in in Luke chapter 10, and you all know the story. Jesus comes to visit Martha and Mary, and they have a little meal. And, And what's Martha doing? She's all nerved up, and she's rushing around, and she's bustling, and the pots and pans are clanking, and she's making a dinner, and she's all worked up. I want to make sure it's right. Jesus is here, and she's all nerved up about it. And there's her sister Mary. You remember what Mary was doing in that story? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
And Martha gets a little perturbed, and she says, oh, Jesus, look at what she's, she's just sitting there, and I'm doing all this work. You remember what Jesus says in response? This is really significant. He says, oh, Martha, you were worried about all these things. But Mary has chosen the better thing, and it will not be taken away from her. You remember that story, Martha and Mary? It will not be taken away from her. What does that mean? Maybe we'll find out at the end if I remember. And then the other story is, is in John chapter 11, where um, the brother shows up, Lazarus, and remember he, he gets sick. He dies. And Jesus shows up. It seems a little late, right? You remember the story? He shows up a little late. And Martha runs out to him and meets him in the street. And you can almost picture her taking him by the lapels. I don't know if Jesus had lapels. He probably didn't have lapels. Taking him by the tunic and saying, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus responds, He's going to live again, Martha. Do you believe that? And Martha says, yeah, I believe in the general resurrection. And Jesus says, what? I am the resurrection and the life. Right? So that's, that's Martha. And then, and then Mary, Mary comes out to Jesus. And you remember what Mary did? She didn't say anything. She falls at his feet. And weeps. And she says the same thing. Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus' response to her is different. It's the same brother that died. It's the same two sisters. It's the same comment. But Jesus responds differently. He weeps with her. Which is a beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus. And how each of us are individuals and he deals with each in the way that each of us need. Mary, Martha needed a little theology. Mary needed the heart of Jesus and Jesus weeps with her. And what happens? Lazarus is raised, come out. And what does Mary say? Oh, he's, he stinks, right? You know the story, right? It's a great story. The story of the resurrection. So all that is backdrop. And so now what happens? What happens? John tells us that this occasion, it says they gave a dinner for Jesus. Can you imagine what was going through their heads? Oh, Jesus is in Bethany. Let's have him over, Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus say. Let's go over to Simon's house. Some people say Simon might have been the husband of one of the ladies or the father, maybe, that nobody knows for sure. Let's, let's have Jesus over. And they gave him a dinner. <laughs> They gave a dinner. And there they all are, and they're sitting there. And they're reclining at the table, and they're eating together. And what happens? Verse 7 of our chapter, a woman came up to him. It was Mary. <laughs> The same Mary 
This isn't out of the blue. She had experience with Jesus, and she comes up to him. They're all sitting there eating, and she comes up to him, and she takes this vial of very, very expensive perfume, worth a year's wage. One of the Gospels says she breaks it. And, you know, it's not like she fumbled it and, oh, it broke. And I'll, no, 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 no. She wanted to make sure that all of that went on Jesus, yeah? So she breaks it. There's no more going back in the bottle. The bottle's broken, so it all comes out. And in, and in Matthew's gospel here, it says, very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he reclined at table. John's gospel tells us that it went all the way down his body to his feet and that Mary took her hair and wiped his feet. (laughs) The love and the affection of this woman Now, just an aside here, right? Just an aside. Some people say that the gospel stories, because they don't match in every single detail, are unreliable. They look and they say, well, John says it was was on his feet. Matthew says it was in the hair. This is just unreliable. There's a discrepancy here. You ever heard that? People say you can't believe the Gospels because they're just full. You can't believe the Bible because it's full of discrepancies. You ever heard that? Right? Some people also say, you know, if Jesus could see these Gospels today and what was written about him, he would be appalled. He never meant for any of this to happen. In fact, what happened was centuries later, powerful men got together and they wrote stories about him to maintain their power and authority over people. It was all about their oppression. You ever heard that? Very popular today. Well, if that was true, the second one, if people centuries later wrote the Gospels and said, let's make sure that we stay in power, wouldn't you think they would agree in every detail? You think they'd miss that? <laughs> huh? To put it another way, um, when, when uh, the police interview four witnesses to a crime, if everything lines up perfectly, they don't believe it. Why? They say, oh, you guys colluded together. You made up this story and you all memorized it. Right? (laughs) The slight variations in the Gospels testify that they're original. They testify to that. The Gospels are like four portraits taken, painted of the same person by four different artists. A Van Gogh, a Rembrandt, a Degas, a Michelangelo, the same person through the eyes of a different artist. And of course, one will focus on one thing and one will focus on another. God used their personalities of the disciples that that wrote the, the scriptures. He used their vocabulary. And that all testifies to their truth. 
And together they paint a full picture of Jesus. So Matthew, he says the oil was on the head. Why? Why did Matthew focus on that? Well, he presents Jesus as the king. How was a king brought into power? He was anointed on the head. So that's what Matthew talks about. John's gospel talks about the feet. Why? Oh, John was the, was the gospel writer that Jesus loved, and he speaks of love more than anyone. And of course he would write about what Mary did with his feet. It fits when you see that. Okay. The reaction from the disciples. Verses 8 and 9. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. What do you think of that? Is that a good response or, or not? Well, recall what just happened in Matthew 25. Recall the teaching that Jesus gave there. He talked about the sheep and the goats. Remember that? Ben did a great job. Uh, Annette and I listened to that online last week. Ben did a great job explaining that, what that refers to. And if you remember, the point of that was that our faith must be demonstrated. And the example that Jesus gives in Matthew 25 is helping the oppressed and the poor, giving a glass of water to someone that's thirsty, visiting someone in prison, welcoming the immigrant. And so this is ringing in their ears, and they're thinking, man, we've got to help the poor, and now all this oil is poured out and wasted. So you can kind of see why they might say that, but there's really more to it. John's gospel says that it was Judas. He was the first one to raise his voice and say, what's going on here? And the other ones chimed in and joined in and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they scolded Mary, it says. John tells us that Judas really didn't care about the poor. It says he had the bag, <laughs> He was the treasurer, he had the money, and he helped himself to it whenever he wanted to. So Judas was after the money. He didn't care about the poor, and it's easy for the others to chime in. I don't know if you knew that little detail or not. And, and it, 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 it explains something else. If you jump down to the last portion that was read this morning, verse 14, it says, then one of the 12, whose name was Judas, went to the chief priest. It says, then... Then one of the twelve, after this incident of the, of the perfume being anointed, anointing Jesus, after that was poured out, then Judas went. This was the last straw for him. He's like, I, I, I didn't get my money. I'm going to go, and I'm going to betray him. And that's what we see. And what does Judas do? He goes to the chief priest, and he says, how much will you give me? How much will you give me? And they say, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave in the Old Testament. That's all the chief priests thought that Jesus was worth. That's, and Judas agrees to it and says, yep, I'll do it. And from then on, he sought a way to betray him. But back to the story of, of Mary. Jesus' response in verses 10 and 12 to their, to their um, 
scolding of Mary. Verse 10, but Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with me, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, whenever the gospel or wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in her memory. So Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing. She has touched my heart in a way that nobody else has. And then verse 11 says, you'll always have the poor. So is Jesus kind of dissing the poor? Is he kind of saying, you know, forget about the poor? No, no, he's not saying that at all. You have to understand. In Mark's version, he says, you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. Jesus doesn't take away the responsibility to the poor. He says you'll always have those opportunities. You'll always be able to do that. But it's a matter of timing. We have to look at where we are as this story is unfolding. And you have me now. You won't have me in person much longer. In fact, he's going to be betrayed very shortly and taken away. It's a matter of opportunity to worship Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 12, he says, the anointing is for my burial. In those days, they anointed with spices and oil before burial. I don't know if Mary recognized that. It doesn't say whether she got that. But Jesus flushes it out for us and says that's what she's doing. The story is building to Jesus' death, and this is just another step. And now we get to verse 13. This is the key verse, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up with this verse. Verse 13. Truly I say to you. You know, whenever Jesus says truly, sometimes he says truly, truly. Whenever he says that, man, oh man, you want to listen. You want to just stop in your tracks right there and soak it in. Truly I say unto you, Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, what she has been done will be told in memory of her. So I want to make four or five points from this. Jesus says, whenever the gospel is proclaimed, why does he use that? Why? I mean, I've told the gospel to a number of people over the years. We've preached the gospel here in New King week after week. I don't know if anybody has ever added that in. Can, can you recall? Has Ben ever done that, added that in, preaching the gospel and mentioning Mary, the woman? That, so it's kind of interesting. Why, why does Jesus connect that? And maybe why should it be added in? So first of all, whenever the gospel whenever the good news is proclaimed. Let's, let's break it down. What, what do we mean by the gospel? What exactly does it mean when we talk about the gospel? The good news that you and I proclaim today 
is that Jesus has taken the punishment we deserved. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He has defeated the powers of evil. God has raised Jesus from the dead. He has resurrected him, and he has now ascended to the throne. The gospel we proclaim says that Jesus is seated as at the right hand of God, crowned with glory and honor. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Praise God. Thank you, Ted. That is the gospel that we proclaim. And it's an invitation. I was reading on our trip a book by N.T. Wright, and uh, here's a quote from him. Once the gospel announcement is made, it instantly means that all people everywhere are gladly invited to come in, to join the kingdom, to join the party, N.T. Wright says, to discover three things, forgiveness from sins, to discover an astonishing destiny in God's future and to have a vocation for the present. Past, present, and future. Our sins are gone. We can start fresh. We can have new birth, a new beginning in Christ. We have things to do in the kingdom for his name. We have a vocation. And we have an astonishing destiny with him. Yeah? So that's the gospel. You with me on that? Yeah. So why is Mary's act of worship connected to that? How does it fit? Why does Jesus say whenever it's proclaimed, this should go with it? Why should it be remembered that way? (laughs) Because it exactly embodies what it means to believe the gospel, not just say it, but to fully and truly believe it and act upon it. What do I mean by that? Let me tell you a couple things. Number one, believing that he really and truly died for my sins, that I'm forgiven, that I'm accepted in the beloved, and that I can, like Mary, approach the throne of grace and have intimate fellowship and worship of Jesus. Look at the intimacy she has. She goes to him. She pours the oil. She anoints him. She wipes his feet with her hair. You can't get much more intimate than that. That's what we have. Many of us don't believe our sins are gone. We live in the shame of the past. We can't get past it. The person of Jesus can help us. If we believe the gospel, our sins are gone. We can have intimate fellowship and worship with Jesus. That's the gospel. Number two, believing in the resurrection. Do you believe the resurrection? Do you believe it? If anyone was to believe it, it's Mary and Martha, and I think Lazarus probably believes in it too, raised from the dead, because he was a stinking corpse, and now he's alive and he's having dinner with Jesus. Do you believe the resurrection? In John 11, Jesus says to Martha, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The gospel says that Jesus is the first fruits and that we will be raised with him. That changes everything. Do you believe that? We know Mary believed it, and she worships. Believing the ascension, that Jesus is not just raised from the dead, but he is now ascended, vindicated, glorified in the heavens, on the throne, crowned with glory and honor, Lord of lords and kings of kings. If that's true, Tim Keller says, you better fall on your face and you better worship him. And that's what Mary does. See, this is the gospel. She believes every part of it and acts upon every part of it. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, the very end, the last thing that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. (laughs) Do you believe that? Do you believe that in your heart and in your soul? If it will, it will transform your life. And we need to find opportunities to extravagantly extravagantly worship Jesus as the risen Lord of creation, as Mary did. Remember my trip. Three things. Sites, people, church. One story. We went to Carlsbad Caverns. I don't know if anybody's been there, but there's a Celtic proverb that talks about thin places. You ever heard that term? Thin places where the fabric between heaven and earth is really, really thin. They almost touch. When we went into Carlsbad Cabin, the only way I can describe it is we were on holy ground. We felt like we were in the throne room of God and we, we whispered, we, we, we were worshipful, we felt like God was present. It's a thin place. And there are other thin places. We need to find them and recognize them. What do I mean by that? You know a thin place? You ever been there for a birth of a baby? You feel the hand of God. You feel the presence of God like nothing else when that baby is born. When someone puts their trust in Jesus, a new birth, it's a thin place. You feel like, oh my word, God is real. This person has confessed Jesus. You can't even believe it. God is present. Baptism. What we're going to do in a couple minutes, remembering the Lord, that's a thin place. It's where heaven and earth are so close, they almost touch and meet. We need to find the thin places and recognize them and go to them and enjoy them. That's what Mary did. So some of the sights were amazing. People. People. 
Remember I said I went and visited this, uh, this old Bible teacher who was 80? We used to go to his house in New Hampshire years and years ago for a Bible study on Friday nights. Well, he had a Bible study at his house on a Friday night, and we went. And uh, it was an interesting time. There were probably four other couples there, and uh, at the end, it was time for prayer. And this one couple shared about their daughter who had gotten pregnant, and the pregnancy hadn't been going well. Um, and it turned out that she had a, was carrying a Down syndrome baby. And at one point, it looked like she was going to lose the baby. It looked very certain that that was going to happen. And another woman came to her and said, I'm so sorry that you're going to lose this baby and miss out on the joy of having a Down syndrome baby in your home. You're going to miss out. It's not how we look at it very often, is it? And they prayed. And the pregnancy is almost ready to be full term. She's ready to give birth. And with the joy these grandparents talked about this baby coming into this, to the world, oh my word, we were in a thin place. Heaven was meeting earth there. I tell you, it was a thin place. So sites, people, and church. We went to a lot of churches on our trip. Many of them were bigger churches, and to be honest, we got a little burned out with literal smoke shows on the stage, you know, during the music and all of that. It just felt like, oh, man, I, I wish I was back at New King. And one particular Sunday, we were in Moab, and uh, we looked for a church, and we found a little church called the First Baptist Church of Moab, and we said, let's go. And on the way, Annette prayed that the Lord would just, just give us a simple church. And she prayed that, I just, Lord, just send us an old lady playing the organ. That's all I want. <laughs> and so we show up, and we walk in the door, and there's maybe 15 people, and there's an old lady playing the organ. And the pastor's wife led the singing, and he got up and he preached, oh, so clearly from Acts. It felt so good. He said, you know, we preach through whole books. I like that. He says, we preach it in context. Oh, I love that. And he proceeded to preach. Every single person came up and introduced us, themselves to us. We went to churches of a thousand, and no one said hello to us. Oh, my word, the worship we had that morning. Look for those. Find those. That's what happens. And, and finally, I, I just want to leave you with one thing. God remembers and treasures those times of worship. Let me close with a verse from the book of Malachi, the third chapter. It says in the 16th verse, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention 
and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Why did Jesus look at Mary and say, you've chosen the better part and it won't be taken away from you? Because she was at the feet of Jesus and Jesus treasures that. Each of us in our lives needs to find the thin places, the worshipful places, the times when we can extravagantly pour out all that we have to our risen Lord and Savior who died for us and is raised to God's right hand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these verses and for this memory of this woman. Help us, Father, to find the thin places. Help us to worship Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Help us to have extravagant worship and adoration for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.